0: Our scripture reading this morning begins in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning with verse 1. Now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They're being tested by many troubles, and they're very poor. But they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more and they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They even did more than we had hoped, for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to. So we have urged Titus, who encouraged your giving in the first place, to return to you and encourage you to finish this ministry of giving. Since you excel in so many ways in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love from us, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. I'm not commanding you to do this, but I'm testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of the other churches. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. Here is my advice. It would be good for you to finish what you started a year ago. Last year, you were the first who wanted to give. Now you were the first to begin doing it. Now you should finish what you started. Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving. Give in proportion to what you have. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly and give according to what you have, not what you don't have. Of course, I don't mean your giving should make life easy for others and hard for yourselves. I only mean that there should be some equality. Right now, you have plenty and can help those who are in need. Later, they will have plenty and can share with you when you need it. In this way, things will be equal. As the scriptures say, those who gathered a lot had nothing left over, and those who gathered only a little had enough. Now moving down to chapter 9 and verse 6. Remember this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully, and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met, and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. As a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God for your generosity to them, and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. And they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace of God That God has given to you. Thank God for this gift. Too wonderful for words.
1: Thanks, Al. Well, we're on our third week of a three week series, the last installment of a series we've been doing on why Christians give. It's been kind of one of those. Uh, I could say in-house conversations. Uh, I, I, I tried to be careful so that those of you who might be visiting here this morning that maybe coming to church is a brand new thing for you. Maybe you're just kind of checking out who Jesus is and you're, you stumbled in here this morning and you always thought Christians talk nothing but about money. And then you came here this morning and discovered I'm talking about money and you, you wondered if, if, if your premonitions of ill had been true. Well, it they, they weren't. We don't usually talk a lot about money, but our community, uh, six, eight months ago, said, Tom, you need to do a series on, on money. We we need to be talking about this. We need to be challenged about this. And so we decided that we need to have a, a conversation, and it's been three weeks now, looking at why we give. And so if you're busy here today and you're you're kind of new to things, I want you just to relax. We're not after your cash. Uh, you can, I think, learn something today about why Christians give, and I think you might be challenged and encouraged in, in why you would give, why you would be generous, but today is one of those conversations where you get to maybe listen in on why Christians give. So this is a particularly a series that um, really challenges those of us who would say the Erickson Covenant Church is our, is our home church. This is where we attend. This is where we connect. This is where, where we serve. Uh, it's, it's really for us. Uh, the last couple weeks we looked at, in particular, that we give because we love God more than we love money. And we also looked at, last week, how we give because our hope is in God and not in our wealth. And giving, uh, not just a, a theory about giving or wishful, wishful thinking, but actually opening up our wallets, actually, you know, writing out the check, actual giving becomes the way that Jesus pries our heart off of our money. Sometimes it's a big, long crowbar. Sometimes it just takes a little twist. But it's the way that he pries our hearts off of our money so that we can give our whole heart to God. And practical giving is the way that that happens. And and more than that, giving... As we give, God does great things in our communities, in our church, and throughout the world. And giving is the way that God does that. Well, this week, in our last one, we're looking at how we give because we're grateful for grace. And really, all of Christian giving flows from this one fact, that God has been generous to us, and so we live generously. That we give as an expression of our thanksgiving and our gratitude for god's grace to us today we want to look at that block of scripture that al read for us and i i don't normally do this big of a chunk i don't normally do what i'm doing today it's a it's a big chunk of scripture and i'm gonna jump all around so i apologize in advance if you uh, have a bible open it and keep it open in second corinthians 8 and 9 there's a few extra bibles in the front of your benches um and if moving around the Bible is kind of unfamiliar to you, no worries. I will read the passages so you can just listen in um, and, and and see what happens. But we're going to be looking at this chunk of scripture that is in a, the second letter we have that Paul wrote to uh, the church, to a group of Christians who were in the ancient city of Corinth. And it's, it's all about giving. Now, the background to this is that uh, Paul had been going uh, to a variety of churches spread over Asia Minor and in that area of the world, and he'd been raising money for the Christians back in the, in the church around in Jerusalem and in the surrounding area around Jerusalem. They'd been hard hit by a famine and by some economic downturn, and, and they were facing some tough times. And so Paul had been going around to different churches. You see this crop up in a number of his letters where he talks about it. It's also mentioned in, in the book of Acts, where he'd been going to these primarily Gentile churches, and he'd been raising money to help financially in the Jerusalem church and what he would often do is he'd say to them look you have gained so much from that church from those churches because it's from those churches that the good news about Jesus first came out and all that you've received of the grace and the forgiveness and the knowledge of who Jesus is and the transformation that's happened in your life you owe it all to them and now they're having a rough time and so you've gained so much from them spiritually, it's time to give back financially by helping them. And that's what, that's what his appeal. And so he and his team have been raising some money to help with the church back in the countryside surrounding Jerusalem in Jerusalem. And so he writes to them, and he gives them some really practical advice on giving. So just some really practical stuff. And so as I worked through this passage, I was able to kind of summarize um, ten principles about Christian giving that came to this passage and you 're probably wondering couldn 't you have summarize them a little more than that i mean ten but here 's my, here's my thought I think there will be a couple of principles, maybe two or three, that will really grab you, that will really be a challenge for you and and will be kind of your situation, or maybe really highlight something that that is new to you, and and I think uh, maybe there'll be something in here for all of us. So we'll go through this. These principles are drawn from chapters 8 and 9 in 2 Corinthians, and to help with that, inside of your programs, there's an insert with, believe it or not, fill in the blank. I don't think I've ever done this before. Fill in the blanks, and and that's just to try to, I recognize there's a lot of content today, and so it'll help, uh, those of you who need that focus, but it also helps you take something home that will highlight those ten principles and the scriptures that go with them. So as I jump around, you'll kind of know what scriptures I'm talking about based on, on what's there. That make sense? Hopefully we'll have some time for, uh, question, answer, discussion, uh, toward the end. So ten principles for generous giving. We're there already? Brilliant. Principle number one. Kind of already talked about it. We're generous. Because God is generous. We are generous because God is generous. I think the heart of it is in 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. As I already said, giving, Christian giving, is in response to the grace of Jesus And it tells the whole story, really, in some ways. It's Jesus who enjoyed this perfect relationship with his Father from eternity past, who sat at the right hand of his Father, who had all the wealth and all the privilege and all the position, leaving that place and becoming one of us, becoming human, laying aside all of that to become one of us, like you and I. And walking with us and living the perfect life that we could not live. Dying the perfect death we couldn't die. Rising again from the dead and offering his life to us. Offering forgiveness to us. Talk about riches, right? Talk about incredible bounty that we've received from God, from Jesus, who laid all the riches aside, became poor, and died as the humble servant. Death on a cross for you and I. And that's that's what's going on here. And so that's at the heart of our giving, that we are responding to the generosity of God. Giving then it becomes an act of praise and worship to God. That as we give, whatever we give, as we give financially, certainly, and that is the focus of this series, but as we give anything that we have, our, our gifts, our talents, our time, our energy, our food, our, our presence, as we give, we give as an act of praise and worship to God. You know, I... Uh, I was thinking this week, and I know some of you already heard me say this, but you show me a stingy Christian, and I'll show you someone who's forgotten the generosity of God. If we're stingy, we have somehow cut ourselves off from the truth of our story, that we follow an extravagantly generous God, and it results in extravagant generosity in the way that we live. In uh, 2 Corinthians 8, five. Paul is talking with the Macedonian churches. We're going to learn a little bit more about them. But he talks about how they exceeded their expectations in their giving. And listen to this. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord. And then, by the will of God, also to us. And this, again, relates to this fact that we are generous because God is generous. And we recognize that when we give, we're giving to God. We might be writing a check to the Erickson Covenant Church. We might be signing up for our automatic withdrawal of the world vision. But first and foremost, we're giving to God. We're saying, God, we owe you everything, and we want to give this back to you as an act of worship. But then, as the same verse goes on, and then by the will of God to us, we recognize that when we give to God, what God has asked us to do is to use the wisdom in community, according to sometimes our passions and our gifts, to give our money into a place, a community, a mission, that, that we really feel like God is calling us to participate with Him in. So maybe it's Bible translation. Maybe maybe it's helping women get out of the sex trade. Maybe maybe it's clean water that we say, God, I believe you're doing this and I want to partner with you by the will of God. I want to partner with this organization, with this group, to see your will done in people's lives. But the first order is that we're giving to God, because he has been so generous to us. That's the first principle. And I, I think really everything flows out of this. But let's let's move on to number two. Generosity begins now. Listen to this. Let's read the very start of the passage that I'll read, uh, chapter 8, 1 to 5. And now, brothers and sisters, and, and, and Paul's writing to the Corinthian Christians, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. It's like the church in Philippi, for example. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people, and they exceeded our expectations. You know, if we wait to give, if we wait to be generous till we feel like we have enough, we will never be generous. Do you realize that? People who say, "I will be generous when I make forty grand a year," "I will be generous when I could just make seventy grand a year," you know, "I will be really generous if I could just make hundred grand a year." You know what's going to happen, right? They're not going to be any more generous with 100 grand than they were with 30. That's the reality. Because generosity is less about a statement of our financial position and it's much more a statement of our heart. Generosity begins now. And often generosity is most clearly seen when there isn't an abundance. When there's seemingly only a little to go around. That's when generosity really shines. You know, my life was really impacted by the generosity of a woman in our church growing up. I'm going to set the stage for you. I was heading off to missions. I was 16 years old. I was done high school. And I thought I'd, I was too young to go to college, but I'd go to Haiti instead. So I went to Haiti for a few months. I know. And, um, and I was there uh, most of the fall. And uh, when, I, when I felt I needed to go there, uh, uh, a young uh, single mom in my church, a uh, uh, Cree woman, came to me and said, I feel that God has called me to finance your plane ticket. This woman is not wealthy. This woman was, uh, not, not in a great position financially. But over the course of seven, eight months, she tucked away the 900 bucks needed for my plane ticket. I remember that day very clearly when she told me, I remember the day when she came to me with this $900 that she'd saved over that seven, eight month period and gave it to me to pay for my plane ticket to go to Haiti on this, on this mission. This woman did not give out of an abundance. Now her kids were still fed and she was still taking care of things at home. But she gave out of a lack in a way that, in a kind of generosity I've rarely ever seen. I was so humbled by that. And you know, when I was out there doing what I did, and I was just a young kid, but doing what I did, I realized that I was there on her behalf as well, right? Her generosity shaped my life. Her generosity was shaping others' lives. Generosity begins now. Don't use your situation as an excuse. You may have bad debt you need to deal with, and you do need to deal with it, but don't use your situation as an excuse to not be generous. Maybe you don't have a lot of money. Maybe you don't have a lot of stuff, and you realize that this generosity begins now needs to begin with you opening up your life to someone, opening up your table to someone, spending time, giving energy. But I also do think it applies to our finances. But even when we have a little, we need to recognize that God has called us to give. Even if it's just a small amount, he's called us to live generously. So I want to ask you, before we go on to the next point, what kind of excuses have you been using to avoid generosity? I'm not asking for a response, but I will let you think about that for a moment as I grab a drink. What kind of excuses have been you been using to avoid generosity? Well, I recognize that one could have sounded a little heavy. So, let's move to the next principle. I think it will offset it a little bit. Number three. We give freely from our hearts, not grudgingly from our guilt. We give freely from our hearts, not grudgingly from our guilt. And this is just true across the board for Christian giving. Christian giving is not coerced giving. It's not manipulated giving. These Macedonian Christians, which Paul is using as an example, they gave entirely on their own, he said. or as, it, it, Totally free will, I think Al's translation said. They gave entirely on their own, wanting, eager to have the privilege of sharing in this service to God's people. Do you hear that? The giving freely of their hearts, not grudgingly from their guilt. And then later on, in Second Corinthians 9, 7, we hear these words. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, Not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. That's Christian giving. It's it's personal. It's from the heart. It's cheerfully. It's, It's excited about what God is doing. It's excited about this opportunity to participate in the changing of lives. So that we give and we go, this is awesome. Do you know what God's doing with this 50 bucks? It's incredible. The return on this is amazing. That's pretty cheerful, pretty exciting. There's no compulsion here. It's not a tithe. I know a lot of people have, have heard things like giving 10% is somehow the number. It's not. It's not a Christian number per se. It's a great guide. Most guys out there from David Chilton, the wealthy barber, through to Warren Buffett, all these they'll say that saving 10% and giving 10% and living on the rest is terrific financial principles. You know that. You've heard that. Give 10, save 10, live on the rest, Right? Good principles. But the 10%, as I said last week, it's good for my math skills, but, but it's, it's not a magic number. It's not the all-holy number that we give. Some of us pick a different percentage, a lower percentage, a higher percentage. It doesn't matter. And what, what we're hearing here is, is, is that we are to give cheerfully what we decided in our hearts. And we sit down and we crunch the numbers with our, with our spouse or maybe with our friends. And we say, you know what? This year, I want to up my giving to. 17%. Or I want to I want to change my giving from 3 to 5%. You decide in your heart and give cheerfully from what God has given you, not out of some weird guilt or manipulation or pressure thing. That's not Christian giving. In 8 12 to 13 it says, "For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have." Do you hear that? God is not expecting you to give the same amount or even the same percentage as someone else. That's, that's not what he's, that's not what's going on here. It's, it's according to what he's given you, what you have, maybe in your space of life, maybe in just the way, where you are financially. He calls you to give out of where you are. And then on a little further, it says, our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard pressed, but that there might be equality. We're called to give cheerfully out of what we have and be content with that. And we can do, we know that. We talked about this last week. You know, there's many things that you and I can do without. And I think that generous giving and living helps us evaluate some of our lifestyles. But the call here is not to run ourselves somehow into financial ruin or not take care of our own families. The call is not to somehow do that, but rather to share the bounty that God has given us. Now, we all know that in our consumer culture and in our materialistic culture, the reality is I do think there's a challenge in there, that as we give generously, God is going to help us begin to evaluate some of our true needs versus some of our perceived needs. Right? And and so some of that, it it is going to challenge us, I think appropriately, that it's going to challenge us to think, you know, I know I said I needed that, but maybe at the end of the day that really was something I just really wanted. And I think generous giving and living is going to help us navigate that more helpfully, more fruitfully, where we say, I'm not going to do that there because I'm really, i really, really wanting to support what God is doing here. But that's a different thing than saying, sorry kids, no lunch today. God is not calling us to give, to lead us into ruin, but rather so that there's a sharing. So that those of us who've been made rich in every way, and I mean financially, but I also mean spiritually, and I also mean in the, the life that we've given, that we can share with those who have not received as much, who don't know about Jesus, who need to understand the forgiveness of God. Number four. Good intentions must be followed up by good practice. Good intentions must be followed up by good practice. Second Corinthians 8, 10 to 11. Last year, Paul said, you were the first, not to give, but also to have the desire to do so. These, these Christians were first out of the gate, very excited about this new fundraising effort that Paul was on. Then Paul says, now finish the work, so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it, according to your means. You know, when we decide to give, sometimes our heartstrings are really tugged, you know, we're really excited. We say, man, I'm going to give 400 bucks a month to that. And we do it for about a month or two. And then it just sort of dribbles off and we're back to our chipping in 20 bucks here and there. And what Paul is saying is, you know, you were eager to do this. There was something that excited you about it. There was something that compelled you. There was something cheerful and you were excited about it. Follow through on it. Now, that, that does mean that when we decide to give, we need to use our wisdom. We need to talk about it with our families. We need to, to you know make it all make sense, but he's saying, put things into place so that your practice will fulfill your intentions. Good intentions are not enough. We've got to follow through. It reminded me of of the times when there's catastrophes in the world and the governments all line up in front of the podium and promise immense amounts of money to go to that country for reconstruction. You know what I'm talking about? Immense amounts of money Hardly any of which ever actually goes to the country. Hardly any of it which actually ever even leaves the donor country. Did you know that? So I I know I I already talked about Haiti today, but I couldn't help it. After the devastating earthquake in Haiti in 2010, this is from NPR Health, governments and foundations from around the world pledged more than $9 billion to help get that country back on its feet. But only a fraction of the money ever made it. Just taking a couple of clips from this news article. So where did all that money go? There's a little bit of an interview between someone who's in the know. Uh, the question asked was, aid pledged to Haiti, $9.3 billion uh, from 2010-2012, um, is about a third of all global health that was donated in 2012. What happened to the money that was supposed to go to Haiti? This... Uh, Katz, who responds, says very little of the money actually leaves the donor countries. First of all, you got billions of dollars that are promised, but just never delivered. You've got billions of dollars more that are sort of lost in creative accounting. Donor nations say they're providing debt relief, yet those debts were never realistically going to be paid back, so some of the money is sort of fictional. Well, how much of it actually made it to Haiti? Well, they think about $2.5 billion made it, 93% of that money either went to United Nations agencies or international non-governmental organizations or it never left the donor government. No farther on. When you hear about those billions of dollars in aid donations, the imagination is that they're going to go and they're going to rebuild the country after the earthquake. They're never intended to do that and lo and behold, they don't. You know, that's, I realize, a, an issue that, you know, has a lot of complications in it. But I thought about how our giving can often be like that, where we have these wonderful intentions. We want to see the church grow. We want to see lives change. We want to see our community impacted for Jesus. We want to, we want to see health and, and growth. We want to see you know, people out there being served and, and, and rescued and changed. And, and we're excited about that, but we often don't put a plan in place that would actually enable that to happen. Our good intentions need to be followed up with good practice. Good intentions might make us look good and feel good, but at the end of the day, they don't really do anything to change the world that God loves. So, what's your practice? Number five. God gives generously to you so that you can give generously to others. 2 Corinthians 9, 10 and 11 now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed or your resources and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness using this farming metaphor to get at how God is doing this work. Listen to this. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Did you hear that? Let me read it again. You will be enriched in every way so that You can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So why are you rich? We looked at this last week, the fact that we are rich. Why are we rich? We're not rich just so we can live a comfortable life. We're not rich just so we can buy another piece of property. We're not rich just so we can feel secure like everything's taken care of. That God actually gives us that money so that we can be generous in every occasion. That when the situation arises, we can dole it out. That when something comes up, we can open our doors. That that's the generosity of God given to us so that we can share his generosity with others. God's goal in challenging us to live generously is not to reduce us to poverty, but to rather share with others his generosity. That's why he's given to us. Number six, God wants us to excel in giving. I don't know if you've ever thought of this. God God wants us to excel in giving just as he wants us to excel in faith, in service, in gifts, and love. In uh, 2 Corinthians 8, 6 and 7. So we urge Titus, that's one of uh, Paul's uh, partners in ministry, we urge Titus... Just as he had earlier made a beginning to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. So are still in the same deal here. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. This is an amazing church. This is a church that's growing in the understanding of who Jesus is. This is a church that's coming to understand that God has given us gifts and we... Serve according to the gifts that God has given us. This is a church that's excited about what God is doing. And Paul says, that's awesome. And now, excel in the gift of giving that God has given to you. That's something maybe new, but do you realize that our giving reflects our discipleship? For all the reasons we've been talking about, but here I see it as something that God wants to perfect in us, something that God wants to grow in us. The giving is a gift we can excel in, and without it, our discipleship is faulty. So do you excel in giving? Or maybe the better question is, do you want to excel in giving? Do you want to be an excellent giver? It's weird to say that, isn't it? You're feeling kind of weird about that. Is that is that weird? Are you kind of uncomfortable with that? I want to excel in giving. Do you? That's actually what Paul says God wants. He wants us to excel in it. Be really good at it. To actually have some skills in how we give. Well, I think that's an interesting challenge. Have we asked the question, God, how can I excel in my giving? How can I become a more excellent giver? Well, I think that's an interesting challenge. Prayer that you might dare to pray. Number seven, the generosity of others helps us give generously. The generosity of others helps us give generously. After uh, relaying to the Corinthian churches about the generosity of these Macedonian Christians, Paul writes this in in, in uh, eight eight. I'm not commanding you. So he's not going back. Not, I'm not coercing you. I'm not I'm not saying this is what you got to give and this is how much you got to give. That's not what I'm doing here. But I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. Now, we are immediately a little uncomfortable with that. That does sound awfully close to manipulation, doesn't it? I want you guys to know how great those guys are. Just so you can, you know. But here's the reality. Our giving is not done in isolation. Or rather, let me say this, I don't think it should be. I think we've kept our giving so private, out of a concern, right concern perhaps, but a concern that somehow that would contribute to pride or somehow that would contribute to, uh, uh, you know, people getting some sort of position in the church because of what they give or weird stuff like that. Obviously, I'm not talking about publishing the numbers. But I am talking about a willingness to talk to your family and your friends. And you don't, you, know, rallies, you don't even have to talk about the actual number. But you can still engage in the kind of conversation that says to some, says someone, like, why do you give? Like, how, how have you processed giving? Maybe, maybe this whole giving thing I've heard the last couple weeks is brand new to me. Could you tell me how you've figured out how to give? Or as the question came up last week, how you've figured out, like, how much to give to the church and how much to give to other organizations that are doing good work? Like, how you've processed that? Because I don't think our giving should be done in isolation. In this case, Paul actually says, I want to tell you about this other community. I want, I want you to see their generosity, and I want you to be challenged by that. I want you to feel in your heart the, the generosity of this community and perhaps be challenged. I think actually one of the things uh, I realized in the last year in particular, there's some of us where this giving thing is new. And it might be new because you just came to faith in Jesus this year. And the whole idea of giving financially is like, like mind blowing. And 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 some of you are are maybe for the first time in a, in a in a church community where where this is even something you're willing to consider. I don't know where you're at, but I realize in conversation with some of you that that even just how giving's done and how you think about giving and the whole idea of percentage giving and all that is just brand new to you. And and I want to encourage some of you who follow Jesus longer. Maybe you've been. Uh, following Jesus for decades, that you realize when you keep how you give and how you process giving, when you keep that private, the younger people who have just have just started following Jesus, they have no idea how you give. They have no idea why you give. They, they don't, they don't they, they're, just, they're trying to figure it out. And so I've had a number of conversations with people where literally it's like the penny huh, dropped when they realized, oh, here I thought if I chucked a 10 in every month, it just kind of was d- doing what needed to be done. I didn't realize you're talking about like actually looking at my wage. Not me looking at their wage, but myself looking at my own wage and, and deciding what to give. I didn't even know you were talking about that. This changes everything. And, and they're not begrudging about it. They're excited about it because they didn't realize. Because you know what? I know so, some of you are new to church and you know, uh, maybe you're new to this community. You'd maybe came in and thought that the place just sort of ran on endowments or something. That there's wealthy people that have died in the past and we've got this huge pot of a couple million bucks and we're just living off the interest. We're not. This place runs. My salary's paid. The ministry programs are covered. The building lights and heat are on because of the plates that get passed around every Sunday. The place runs. The community grows. We are thriving. People are coming to know who Jesus is because of the giving that is done by you. There's no secret pot somewhere. And I think as people are newer to things, newer to the community, and start to realize that, it changes everything. But There's a whole bunch more that happens in that, which is what we're talking about. As we begin to, again, have our hearts pried off our money, as we begin to be invested in what God is doing, our whole life changes because of that. So let me just encourage you, to step out and actually talk to a friend about your giving. Go to someone that you know has been following Jesus longer and ask them, tell me about how you give. You don't have to say, tell me what you give, but tell me how you give. I challenge you to do that. Go and ask and and learn from the generosity of others so that your own life can be shaped in, in, in generosity. Number eight, when we give generously, real needs are met in uh, chapter 8, 14, 15. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need. So that their plenty, in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality, as we've already read. As it is written, the one who's gathered much did not have too much. The one who gathered little did not have too little. The goal of our giving is to meet real needs so that there's equality. But that equality, you know what that means when it filters down? So that people are being cared for. So that their actual needs are being met. Their needs physically, their needs spiritually, their need for community. These are real needs that are being met. In uh, chapter 9, 12 to 13, it says, this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. But folks... For this, for this point, on the real needs, that the giving that we, are, that, that we commit to, it's meeting real needs. When you give to the Erickson Covenant Church, real needs are being met. Do you know that? People are coming to understand God's love and grace for them. And, and that's, that's not just through me. You understand that. I play a role here. You play a role here. Together as the body of Christ. People are coming to know who Jesus is. Real needs are being met. And as we give to rescuing girls out of the sex trade, or we give to Congo Kids World Vision, real needs are being met. This is an amazing thing. If we give $5, we give 500 bucks. Real needs are being met when we give generously. Number nine, when we give generously, God is praised. We already heard that mentioned. Through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Overflowing in many expressions of, of thanks to God. Uh, because of the service which you performed yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. And for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. I love that line. They'll praise God for your obedience that accompanies your confession of Christ. That we don't just say we follow Jesus, but we actually put our money where our mouth is. That's essentially what it's saying. That we we follow up with that and say we're invested in what God is doing in our community and around the world. And we're showing that with our giving. Generous giving results in praise to God. As real needs are met, people's hearts and minds and lives are pointing toward the Jesus who longs to meet their every need. God is praised. And our giving exalts Jesus. Number ten and then we'll open it up for, for questions or comments. When we live generously, we receive blessings. Now, I personally don't think those blessings are going to be very financial. Why? Because for most of us, for many of us, those financial things are actually what we're giving away a lot of. But it might. It might result in that. But I want you to hear the, the broader statement. In nine eight. God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. When we live generously, we receive blessings. God takes care of us. God gives us what we need, not just to live, but to continue to be part of what God is doing. And there's amazing blessings that come back. Um, Another one mentioned here in 9.14 is that the people who are receiving this gift, that they pray with, with affection. They, they pray for you. Their hearts go out to you because of the surpassing grace that God has given you. That One of the blessings that returns is, is the blessing of prayer, the blessing of, of having God praised, but also the blessing that as we minister to people, as we give to even to this community, and lives are changed and people come to know Jesus, just think, of the change that makes in our community, in our lives, and the blessings that are returned to us because of that. Now, Dave shared a story with me this morning that I'd like you to share. Dave, are you willing to do that? Kind of putting him on the spot here, but I'll give you a little warning. Dave shared a story with me about an act of generosity that he and Ruth did for someone that resulted in a return that was different than expected. Will you share that, Dave? Can I give you a microphone? Are you willing to do that? Mm -hmm.
2: Sometimes it's better just to keep your mouth shut. <laughs> 1968, we got married and we moved to Cornell. And I was a social worker working for the government. And uh, I had a caseload and one of my cases was Jim. And he was a handicapped individual and he lived halfway between Cornell and Barkerville. And that was my territory. And as it was getting near Christmas, I said to Ruth, we're going to need a Christmas tree. And so I know Jim lives up there and I know he's a kind of a woodsy kind of guy. And so I said, when he was in for his monthly thing, I think he got 35 bucks a month to live on at that time. It was a big social assistance check. Maybe it was 75, I can't remember. Long time. In any event, he said, sure, Dave, you, you come out and get a Christmas tree. And so I said, well, we picked a time. And when I got home and told Ruth, she said, you know, we need to take them a package. There was another gentleman we were going to see as well. But I'll just talk about Jim. And so we went out to Jim's place, and Ruth baked some chicken and did some banana bread or whatever you were making back then. It was pretty early. Um, and we...
1: Early you know. in her cooking career? Is that what you're
3: referring to?
2: All of it. Okay. All of the above. In any event, we took this package, and I remember walking up the Snow the snow was probably above our knees and there was a, a worn trail from from the highway. Jim didn't have any vehicle. I know when he came to town, he would just walk down and someone would bring him in. And so we walked up to his house. It wasn't a house. It was a shack. This piano might not have fit in the, in, in the place. It was probably about 12 feet by 20 or 18. In that, most of that space was taken up by wood. There was a bed. There was a stove. And we sat down, it was warm, I remember, uh, and we gave him the stuff, you know, and Jim, tears came to his eyes. Nobody had come to his house. That was his Christmas. We'd done that. And then he said, I said, well, after we had done our, given the gift, I said, Jim, we need to get a Christmas tree. And he said, I've got one picked out for you, Dave. And so we trudged further away from the Barkerville Highway or the road, whatever it was, Back into the bush and we're going through trees and I'm going by and I says, Jim, there's a, no, I got one for you, Dave. There's another nice one. And Ruth and I were looking at these beautiful trees. It was a moonlit night and we were still slogging through snow above our knees. Came into a clearing and there was this tree and I remember it had about a six inch um, uh, stem on the bottom. The trunk was about six inches and I looked up to the top. It was a blue spruce that was absolutely perfectly shaped. And he said, this is your tree. And he started to cut it down. And then we got it down and he said, How much of it do you want? And we took the top. You know, just for a little bit of blessing, uh, I always look back at at the, the, the blessing that we got by just sitting in his place and understanding it. And to this day, we have bought a lot of Christmas trees. As you can tell with our hair and how long we've been together, we've had a lot of Christmas trees. But I don't think any one Christmas tree meant more to us than that one. and and the gift that was given back to us because of a simple little opportunity that we shared with Jim.
3: Thanks, Dave.
1: A great story. When we give, we receive blessings. Those blessings of relationships, blessings of encouragement, the blessings of seeing God at work in people's lives, the blessings of seeing a church that's growing, the blessings of seeing youth all over the place. These are amazing blessings that we receive. And the blessings are greater than that. There's, there's a blessing that comes as, as we begin to live more freely, as we discover that our hope is in God, not in our goods. The blessings that come from having a life that's shaped around the kingdom of God and not the kingdom of our stuff. The blessings are incredible as we give. Any questions, comments, discussion today? We still got time. Yeah, it was pretty fast. Um, Ethan's going to be our runner today. Excellent. Anyone, uh, just stick your hand up high so Ethan can see you, and he'll come to you with a microphone. Anyone want to respond? Maybe there's a particular principle that really challenged you or encouraged you. Maybe there's something that provoked you, something you'd like to add to it. Um, go ahead, stick your hand up, and we'll, uh, we'll have a, a, a short conversation. make sure it's on at
2: the bottom there, you yeah. Um, I just want to say that I found that um, when you give, uh, I, I found it a, a really neat thing that um, you could leave God responsible for things that you couldn't do before. When you knew that you had give given, you um, God had to take, I knew at some point uh, God would have to take care of my needs. Mm-hmm. And that was a great joy and a great relief. And that was just a blessing within itself, knowing that I had done what God had wanted me to do. And that turned around, uh, okay, Lord, now you have to be responsible. Mm-hmm. I, I know I did what you had called me to do. Yeah. And that was, that was a relief. That was a blessing to me as well. So.
3: Thank you, though.
1: Anyone
3: else? Get back there. Okay. Yes, uh, I'm sure glad to be back at church again after a long absence. Uh, I had some medical problems, and uh, and uh, I was, you know, like positive thinkers and so. on some of my friends talk about um, where is the opportunity in this. Uh, challenge that God gave me and um, having a bit of a time initially finding it but then I found in talking to God he told me this that one of the things that He, God wanted me to do was to reach out and ask for help from people and um, one might think well that's easy enough but not for me for some reason, I'm too tough or whatever, uh, too self-sufficient, whatever. But once I got my head around the idea, and then God said that, you know, that you will get a lot of benefit from people just phoning you up and asking you how you are and so on, or, you know, do you need anything or so on. So that felt good for me. But then I realized that the people that phoned me up and so on and reached out for me, they got a lot out of it. That was the beauty part, that I gave them a reason, or I gave them a, an avenue to do God's work. Like, this occurred to me, that um, when what you do for the least of my children, you do for me. So, these people that reached out to me, I could feel in my heart that... Uh, They got a lot out of my so-called dilemma, so-called bad situation, which uh, the more I open it up, the more I realize it's not a bad situation at all. God sent me what appeared to be a dilemma, appeared to be a challenge. It was a blessing. So, Thank you for listening. Thank you, Terry. Thank you. Anyone else?
1: Thanks, Ethan. I want you to imagine what God could do if we, as a church, were to truly excel in giving. I want you to imagine the families that would be restored. I want you to imagine the men and the women who would discover for the first time in their lives that they're forgiven? I want you to imagine the lives that would be changed. I want, I want you to imagine the people who would be added to our community people that you work with, neighbors, friends of yours that you think in your mind, we will never, ever see them come to know Jesus. We will never, ever see them sitting with us in church. I want you to imagine what would happen if we were able to live the kind of generous lives where people see the way that we live corresponds to the generosity of God's grace in our lives. And that touches every area of our lives. It certainly touches our finances. But it touches our hearts, it touches our tables, it touches our homes, it touches the way that we open ourselves up to one another, it touches the way that we pray. I want you to imagine the kind of transformation that God longs to bring in the crested valley alone. And that's the image. That's the reality that I believe will drive so much of our giving to God. Because, you know, that's what God wants to do. Women who are being abused, children who are being neglected, men and women who are caught in addictions, girls who are cutting... Boys who are addicted to porn, Jesus wants to bring freedom to those people. You know that. And you know there's no other place in the world where that can truly happen than in the church. There's a lot of good agencies and good things going on. Do not hear me wrong. But the place where God is going to mend the heart, the place where God is going to restore the soul, is going to be in the community that has Jesus at its center that is following the Jesus who died and rose again for us and is calling us to live this life together for the sake of everyone around us, for the sake of the world that he loves. And I want you to imagine that. I want you to hold that in your mind because that, my friends, is why we really give. We give because we're grateful for God's grace. We give because we want to see God's grace transform others' lives. I've got to tell you, that's why I give. That's why we give. That's what excites me about giving. Because I'm convinced that God is doing something in our community. That God is doing something in our church. That the trajectory of whole families, the trajectory of people's lives that will shape literally generations and generations to come are stemming right from this community. Right from this point. And if we could capture even a glimmer of that, I believe it would radically transform our giving. It would change it. If we could just capture a glimpse of what God longs to do in our community, the lives He wants to shape and change, the children He wants to bring in so that they grow up knowing, knowing that they're loved, knowing that they're precious, knowing that God has a purpose for their lives. That's why I give. That's why I sit down, Tanila and I sit down every month and write out a check. That's why we signed up for automatic giving because we're, we're convinced that that's what really matters. And I hope that each one of us are challenged for that. You know, I highlighted last week three areas that we can give. And The first one we can give is to the church. And obviously I've spent a lot of time talking about that. Not because, hear me correctly, not because I think this is the only place that God is at work, even in this valley. I don't believe that. But I do believe that if this is the place where you're serving, that if this is the place where you're challenged, if, this, if these are the brothers and sisters you're walking with, that you actually need to support the work here and support it, might I say, generously. God is doing amazing stuff here. I've already highlighted some of it. There's a picture of women studying scripture. I caught them. I don't know if they know I caught them on Thursday morning, but I did. Chantel being baptized, our kids eating pizza together. There's that's just, just three little snapshots, well, four, but, you know, of, of some of the little bit that God is doing among us that is absolutely changing lives. And I, I just want to boldly ask that you would consider courageously and generously your giving to the church. We have grown a lot as a church. We need to grow more for the sake of the kingdom. But our giving needs to grow with it. We'll probably need to bring on another pastor. That's just probably the truth of it. But we can't really do that until our giving really increases. There's just some things that need to happen to this building that need to happen so that we're good stewards of it, but probably aren't really going to happen until the giving increases. And This is all part of what God is doing. So I want to challenge you. I just want to lay it out there. Here we are at the end of the year. It would be really great to meet our budget this year. We're about a month behind. Fifteen grand or so. So I want to challenge you as you give this last few months. Would you give what you normally give? and Maybe some of you you haven't had a normal giving pattern. It's time to set one up. Write out some checks, sign up for automatic giving, whatever. But would you also consider giving an extra gift to the church? Would you consider that? That's to our church. And I think that is where... A lot of our giving needs to go. I'm not shy about that. But of course, there's other places in our community that I want to encourage you to give. One of them that we highlighted last week, is highlighted in your program, is the next one. Oh, there we go. Our community. Uh, I highlighted the hampers last week, and I, I think the hampers are a great place where we as a community come together to serve the needs of our community. It's coming up December 15th and 16th. And uh, it's an opportunity for us to give. Yeah, we can give canned goods, and there's a trolley out in the foyer. You can put canned goods there, non-perishable food items. Um, you can give financially to that as well. And, uh, and I can facilitate that as the president of the ministerial. I can get the money where it needs to go. And that helps not only cover the hampers, but we then steward that money over the course of the year, meeting real medical, dental, physical rent, utilities, real needs of people in, 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 in difficult situations through the year. That's, that's how we steward that money. But that's a real opportunity to give. You can also give by coming and, 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 and offering your time, particularly on that Monday and that Tuesday down at the Rec Center. It's volunteers, uh, and uh, there's awesome ways to serve. Come with your kids, and, and uh, it's a terrific way to give back. It's a terrific way to connect with the community as we share the, the joy of, of Christmas. That's just one obvious one. And then the third one that we've been highlighting is uh, Our World, which is the Cov- Covenant Cares. And it's a gift registry. We've seen that. Get it for World Vision, Compassion Canada. Lots of organizations have it. But we actually have it through our through our, our um, organization as well. So we're highlighting that on the table back there. I'd like you to take a look. There's lots of really interesting ways to give. And what I love about this, particularly for those of you who have young kids, is it's an opportunity for you to say, hey, kids, let's buy a goat that we don't have to raise. Let's buy a pig, and the 125 there is actually, believe it or not. And I know some of you, this would really catch your heart. It's called the Family Farm Starter Kit, where you can come alongside a family and help them start a small farm for 125 bucks. Obviously, the farm doesn't have a pig because <laughs> he's 145 bucks. But anyway, So there's opportunities to give that are super practical, and there's more. You can buy a sewing kit. I think that's the next one, right? A sewing kit that helps people with, probably with some business, but helps people contribute in that way. There's an opportunity to help mothers survive through much-needed but often-denied vaccinations. That's the next one. Oh, the last disaster response. (laughs) I've messed up. There we go. There's giving a disaster response kit, 50 bucks. There's helping with much-needed vaccinations to help mothers survive. There's opportunities to turn on the lights from, I think, literally from 250 up to 5,000 bucks. So, you know, pick what you like. A few of you could easily cover the five grand, no problem. Some mothers might even want to pull your money together and get turn on the lights for 250. But there's really cool opportunities. The other one I liked, and I think you'd all appreciate, is you could provide musical instruments. Isn't that awesome? Kids who don't have the opportunity to learn about that, the opportunity to provide them musical instruments. And then the last one is to help build a church, physically, putting on the roof of these, where these churches gather. And, and that's a, a beautiful opportunity. There are many, many more ways helping wi- rescue women out of, out of, out of sex trafficking. There's, there's microfinance options. There's really, really cool ways to give and to give together in community. So maybe you want to challenge your small group. Maybe you want to get together with a couple friends and say, let's do this thing together. Maybe you want to talk to your kids and, and decide this is a significant thing we're going to do as a family. Maybe uh, some of you just want to get together and say, hey, let's, let's, do, let's do something big together. But there's some really cool opportunities to care, meet real needs, and I believe see God praised through that. Well, I'll wrap it up. We give because we're grateful for God's grace. Shapes our giving. Shapes everything. And as we do that, I believe that we will be astonished at the changes and the transformations that occur in the community around us, in the world that God loves, and even in our own lives. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we are thankful for your grace poured into our lives that though you were rich, you set aside your riches, you embraced poverty so that we could become rich rich in love, rich in forgiveness, rich in your blessings. I pray that we as your church would be transformed by your generosity and that that generosity would just leak out of us everywhere we go. That we'd hold nothing back. That we would see and experience you transforming us as we live and give generously. We long to see lives changed. And so, Jesus, whoever you want to do that through us and in us, pray that we be responsive to you today. In your name we pray. Amen.